0: If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Some of you, uh, we've already met. Some of you, we haven't. I'm Jerron. Now we've met. Um, this is a legitimate comment when I say I, I really, really, really love you guys. Um, you guys are great. Um, Dylan and Brian specifically, the past few years, the, the way they've helped me in my personal life and challenged me and and, and, and have, have reached out, taken the initiative to come towards me to help me out. Absolutely, undeniably amazing. Um, so yeah, you guys have some great pastors, um, really good pastors. And I imagine that you all who are part of this church, you mirror the heart of your pastors. So I already know you're all great people. So thank you for being you. Um, yeah, let's get to preaching. Um, this is the last service of the day, so it's going to be a few hours. We don't got anywhere to go. Uh, that was a joke. Um, Romans chapter eight. Let's meet in Romans chapter eight. Um, if you grew up around the church thing, you know there are people who, who talk and it's chill and got my headset and my stool and it's just a really t- chill. We're chatting. That ain't me. Um, I'm a preach it. So I need y'all to talk back with me, uh, to talk to me. Yes, sir. I need y'all to to help me preach to each other. Let's make this thing a party. If I give it what I got, I need y'all to give it what I got. We're going to leave here and God's going to do some great stuff. It's going to be phenomenal. So let's have a party. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. A little bit of context behind what we're going to read. We're going to read verses 28 to 39. A little bit of context around that. The man who wrote this was a man named Paul. He, uh, he, he started a bunch of the churches during the first push of the Church of Jesus Christ, Christianity, becoming a thing. So Paul started some of the initial churches, and other than going around traveling and starting churches, he would write letters back to churches that he had started and that he had a relationship with, and even churches that he hadn't been to but that he knew of. He would hear things about them, and he'd write letters to them to encourage them or speak into their situations. And this specific letter, which is written to a bunch of churches in Rome, um, there are two things that are going on. One thing that's going on is that Jews and any other ethnicity that lives in Rome, which is in Italy, that were Christians, they weren't getting along. Jews were saying, you've got to be culturally like us to be a part of this Jesus thing. The Gentiles, the, the other ethnicities were saying, no, we don't. So they just split the difference and started having church on their own. So one reason Paul writes this letter is to say, get along. That's not the gospel. Get along. But what also is happening externally is that this church is in Rome. And back then in Rome, there was a guy named Nero and other emperors in Rome at the time who who were opposed to Christianity. They persecuted. They put a hard hand down on the church of Jesus Christ just because they were Christians. So Paul is writing to say, y'all get along, but he's also writing to say, I know what you're living in, you'll get through it. And that's what we pick up at in chapter eight, where he says, it's starting in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul has a little, he, his, his tone changes in these next nine verses. He, he goes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, who's to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, he's the one who was raised and who's sitting at the right hand of God, and he's indeed interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Here goes Paul speaking about that persecution. So, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? As it's written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of existence will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Do me a favor and look to the person next to you and tell them, God's providence is my peace. Now, Now look to the person you're not that cool with. God's providence is my peace. That's, that, that, that'll be the topic. That'll be the, the subject. That'll be the title of today. God's providence is my peace. Uh, As Paul goes throughout this letter or throughout this portion of scripture, you'll notice that he communicates and expresses this, this peace that transcends his situation. And the way that he talks about this peace, it would suggest that this also can be a reality for we who 1,900 years later are reading that same thing. And so today, I just want to talk about how to live, how to experience this transcendent peace in any situation that we find ourselves in. God's providence is our peace. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, we, we, we thank you for your providence. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. We need you we need you to speak to us today we need you to work in our hearts today Jesus we need you to be lifted up that's when we fall in love with you that's when we come to you Let Jesus show yourself to us today we love you amen a question are you okay with where you are right now this is this is this is, this is, I'm speaking about where you actually, literally, physically are in that chair right now on King's Highway. You okay with where you are? You you like who you're sitting next to? you in a good row. You like how close you are? Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable? Are you doing what you wanted to be doing? Would, would you rather do something else than sit here and listen to me preach? Yeah, that's the right answer. Um, <laughs> Here's good news and bad news. If you're not okay with where you are right now, I can put this microphone down. We can pause for about three minutes and everyone can do what they got to do to get to a place they like. You can sit who you want to sit next to. You can be as close or as far away as you want to be. You can run across the street and get something from Jimmy, or not Jimmy John's, uh, uh, Jack in the Box. If you're hungry, we can work something out. You can come up here and preach if you'd like. If you're not okay with where you are, we we can change your place. We can change your seating situation. Here's the bad news. Life isn't that easy. Dealing with an unwanted seating situation is a lot easier than dealing with an unwanted life situation. I think a lot of us would say, if this isn't our experience now, it will be or it has been, that we look around at our situation and we find ourselves in a spot where we can say this was unexpected. I'm not where I thought I'd be. I'm not where I wanted to be. I'm not doing what I wanted to do. I'm not around the people I thought I would be around. And it's, it's honestly unwanted. I don't wanna be here. I dream of being somewhere else. I dream of doing something else. You ever felt stuck between God and a hard place? where in all sincerity, you can say, God, I thought and I really know that I've been following you as best as I can. And I think you are the one who led me right here. But when I look around at it all, it doesn't make sense. This wasn't just unexpected, God, but honestly, I don't want to be here where you've placed me. I've struggled with this in my own life. A few weeks or months ago, I was FaceTiming with a guy I really respect in New York. And I was telling him about some stuff that I think God's placed in my heart. And he paused and said, you're gonna have to reconcile these dreams you have with with where God has placed you in life. He said, you can't have both. You gotta have either the dream or where he's placed you and you you need to make a decision. So I went home and I remember talking to my wife and saying, I'm convinced God busted a door wide open and placed me here. But I look around and it's like, God, everything that I'm convinced you put in my heart since I was 16 can't happen here. Are you wasting my time? You ever felt stuck between God and a hard place? That's what I want to talk into today. I want to talk into that part of you that's unsettled, that doesn't have peace with the place that you find yourself in. When I say place, I mean geographical, geographic situation. I mean, I mean circumstantial I mean financial, I mean health, I mean whatever situation you could find yourself in. I wanna talk to the part of you that says, I'm not okay with where I am. The question of the day is what do I do when I don't have peace with the place that I'm in? God's providence is his answer to the problems we have with our place. So by the end of this whole thing, I, I want you to erase the word luck. I want you to erase the word chance. I want you to erase the word random. I want you to erase the word fate. I want you to erase all of those words out of your vocabulary because those words produce uncertainty. Those words produce unsettlement. Those words produce purposelessness. And I want you to insert the word providence because providence is a word and a concept and a truth that produces peace. So what I want to do for the next few minutes, er, not few minutes, um, what I want to do for the rest of our time together is give you three ways that you you can walk and you can experience this peace in any place you find yourself in. Sound good? Here's the three up front. Number one is know in your head that God is providential. Number two is live under God's providence. Number three is know in your heart that God is providential know in your head that he's providential, live under this providence and know in your heart that God's providential. Let's start with number one, know in your head that's provident, that God is providential. Uh, Paul in verse 28, he, he declares God's providence when he says, and we know God works all things together. You could rephrase that in the theological terms and say, and we know that God is providential. What's it mean for God to be providential? Let's take a step back and ask, what does providence mean? Providence is God's real-time, sovereign provision for a purpose that he set before time. Providence is God's real-time, sovereign provision for a purpose that he set before time. Let's paint a picture of that. Before time ever existed, God had a plan, God had a purpose, God had a vision of the end of all things in mind. God created time, As time progresses, God's working to make that plan that he had before time a reality at the end of time. Before all things, before the beginning, God had a picture in mind. He created time. As history progresses, he's painting that picture. And at the end of all things, he'll have a perfect picture. Providence is God's real-time sovereign provision for a purpose that he set before time. I went to Bible college. I spent four and a half years in like 20-something, 30-something thousand dollars. And all of that culminated in me working on this one definition right here for this one sermon. (laughs) I spent hours doing this and I was hung up on the word sovereign. Because initially I wrote God's successful provision. But then it hit that successful, that that word's not strong enough. Because I thought of what comes to mind when we think of successfully providing for for a purpose or a plan that we have. How many of you in this room, how many of you are planner keepers? Like the physical book planner, you write stuff in it. How many? For like the 12 of you that raised your hand, first off, I want to apologize. Um, For 26 year, 25 years, I made fun of you. I thought you were ridiculous. I thought you were weird. I was like, that's creeping me out. Stop. Stop that thing. Year 26, I bought a planner. And when I say the list of best things in my life are Jesus, my wife, in that planner, <laughs> there is no greater feeling than putting a check mark on something that I wrote first thing in the morning. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh, I feel great right now even just thinking about that feeling. But we all know how it really goes. You wake up at like 7 you write like seven things down on your, on your planner. And as the day unfolds, things that you, you didn't see coming happen. And so you got to like change the time that something happens. Maybe push it off until tomorrow. Maybe erase it completely off your planner. But at the end of the day, I still feel good because my plan happened, but it was plan B. Success. Successfully providing for a purpose is when we adjust our purpose to things we didn't see coming. Sovereignly providing for a purpose is when God sees all things coming and makes everything adjust to fit his purposes. You have a ground level view of life. You are driving in a car all you can see is what is in your windshield and what you can kind of see in the mirror. You see two cars ahead, you see two lanes over. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what's a mile down the road. But God has a bird's eye view, 30,000 feet up. He sees all the cars. He sees all the roads. He sees all the towns for miles and miles on in. He's perceptive enough to see in the cars. He knows what the driver is thinking. He knows what they're listening to. He knows when they're saying Christian cuss words. He knows Knows when they're giving people the, the, the peace sign without the trigger finger, God knows. He sees it all. And he's got his hand on it all. And he's making it all fit into his purposes. Paul Paul says it a different way. He says, God has his hand on it all and he's working it all together. He's working everything together. That phrase working it together is one Greek word, synergyo. It paints a it's a word picture. It's painting a picture. The picture is of a group of people who, who collectively are working together to achieve a common goal. Think of the blues. Bunch of bunch of crazy white men. <laughs> Canadian probably. I mean, real. Be real. We we don't do that. Um, no teeth. Ice skating. They've got sticks in their hand. They're hitting a ball around, I mean a puck around, trying to make it get into a goal. And everybody's playing their part. Everybody has a part to play. Everybody's playing their part. And together, they all achieve the common goal. When when I played sports, we had this phrase, together, everyone achieves more. When When it comes to providence, you need to know that together, everything achieves God's purposes. We, we we have this story of a man named Jonah in the Bible. Um, God's purpose for Jonah was for Jonah to go to to go to Iraq and preach a message to them. So God comes up to Jonah and he says, Jonah, go to Iraq and preach to the Iraqis. This fool Jonah's like, bye, Felicia. Gets on a cruise ship, goes over to Spain. As he's sailing across the Mediterranean Sea, it says that this boat falls under a storm. This storm rocks the boat. Jonah finds himself drowning in the water. Jonah then finds himself swallowed up by a massive fish, Freeze the story. When you notice how the author who wrote that phrases it, he says that God tossed the storm at that boat. With his own hand, God tossed the storm. As Jonah's in the water, uh, he said God provided the fish to swallow Jonah up to stop him from drowning. Then it says God spoke to the fish and told the fish to spit Jonah up on the shore of Iraq. If God recruited the water, if God recruited a fish, if God used those things, you tell me what he can't use in your life. There's another lesson we learned from the story of Jonah. He says that it's that God includes people in his purposes Therefore, people personally experience his providence. Jonah had a front row seat in God's school of providence. Jonah had hands-on field experience in the school of God's providence. Why? Because God included him into his purposes. God is writing this massive grand story of his, and he has made your story a subplot of his story. And if his story is the main pin, if his hand has the pen writing his story, then his hand is holding the pen writing your story. So I don't know what you're going through in this chapter of your life. I don't know what's happening right now in this part of your story, but you can bet your last dollar that God saw it coming and he's working it out. He, God, God either caused it or God either allowed it, but you better believe that God is using it. So this is a good sermon you ought to start preaching to yourself. God's working. Somebody shout, God's working. You find yourself in a situation absolutely unwanted, God's working. You find yourself in a situation absolutely unexpected, God's working. This isn't the job I thought I'd have, but God's working. This isn't the financial situation I wanted, but God's working. This isn't the doctor's report I wanted to get, but God's working. This isn't, these aren't the people I thought I'd be around, but God is working. You might find yourself saying to me, "Jerron, you don't know what's happened in my story. You don't know what's happened in the past chapters of my life. And you're right. I don't know your story, but I know my God. And he says that he has his hand on all of it and he's working all of it out. So I need y'all to help me preach to each other. Tap the person next to you and tell them it wasn't wasted. (laughs) Tap the next person and tell them it wasn't wasted. They, They need to know it wasn't wasted because they've been disappointed in the past. They need to know it wasn't wasted because they've had some hard things happen to them. They need to know it wasn't wasted because they've fallen on their face. They need to know it wasn't wasted because they've had their heart broken, they've been messed over. They need to know it wasn't wasted. So, what I want us to do is take a second to look back over our lives, see the randomly, see uh, the seemingly random conversations, the random events, the random interactions with people, see God's hand working it all out to get us exactly where He wanted to be. It wasn't wasted. God's working it all out. Your God is providential. And the last thing of this part is that. your, God's purposes are good for you and your whole crew. If you went to um, the men's event this past spring, I apologize, you've heard this, but I'm only 26. So I only have like four real life illustrations. Um, <laughs> everything else is stolen, that's honest. Um, when I was in uh, college, I went to uh, school my freshman year of college to play basketball and got close to some of the other freshmen. And our favorite phrase was, everybody eats. And what that was was since we were all broke, none of us had a car, we played basketball, so we thought we couldn't get a job. We were just lazy. And so we were all hungry in the dorms always. But but every now and then, somebody's mom would send them like $20 just because. And when one of them got $20, all of us knew everybody was eating. Because that $20 was enough to buy every single one of us approximately two McDoubles and a sweet tea. When one of us got the blessing, all of us benefited from it. When God works his good purposes out in your life, everybody around you benefits from it. We have this story in Genesis chapter 12 where God comes to a man named Abraham and tells him his purposes. He says, Abraham, I want to bless you so you can have a whole lot of babies. And then he comes back and says, after I bless you and you have all these babies, the whole world is going to be blessed by these babies, specifically one of them. And here we are, thousands of years later, being benefited from Abraham's blessing. When God works his purposes out in your life, everyone around you benefits from it. When God gives you food, everybody eats. When God gives you water, everybody drinks. When God gives you light, everybody sees. When God works his purposes out in your life, they are good for you and the whole crew. So know your God is providential. Know that he's working. Know that everything that was unseen by you is seen in heaven. Know that everything that wasn't a part of your plan is a part of God's plan. Know your God is providential. So that's one, Know in your head that God is providential. Um, Number two is live under God's providence. Live under God's providence. That's a two-parted thing. On one end, it's looking up and focusing on God's providence behind your situation, on another end, it's looking down and focusing on obeying God's word regardless of your situation. On one, it's looking up and focusing on God's providence behind your situation. You ever watched a newsman without the green screen behind him? You know how ridiculous that would look? If like greater, the greater metro area is not there and he's doing some of this and one of those, some of these, a little bit of that and this. And, You know how ridiculous that would look? (laughs) The news anchor would not make sense without the green screen behind him. Life doesn't make sense without God's providence behind it. When you're looking at your story and you don't see God's providence behind it, all you see is, well, I randomly talked to this person and fell into this college, then fell into that college, kinda got a job, someone did something really bad to me. Here I am at church on Sunday, accidentally. That's sad. That's meaningless. Quite honestly, that's depressing. So whatever situation you find yourself in, look up and focus on your providential God's hand behind your situation and know that he's working and he has a purpose for where he has placed you. When you focus on God's providence behind your situation, you'll have the peace that's needed to to be present right where he's placed you. You'll have the peace that's needed to be present with the people around you. You'll have the peace that's needed to not daydream about where you could be and what you could be doing, but wake up to where you are and realize that God wants to do something right here where you are at right now. So look up and focus on God's providence behind your situation. And then look down and focus on obeying God's word regardless of your situation. Uh, Joplin, objectively, this is a fact statistically You can't argue with this. We have one of the top five Chick-fil-A's in the country. (laughs) This is like real. Like on paper, Chick-fil-A will tell you the Joplin, Missouri location. Both of them are top five in the country. (laughs) Like literally. Um, Guy goes to our church that uh, runs them. The thing I love about those Chick-fil-A's is their workers. Regardless of the weather, it could be negative 10 degrees outside, raining ice and fire. (laughs) And they are jumping and doing the Harlem shake through the main street to take your order and wash off your windshields. You walk inside of a Chick-fil-A and regard, no matter if there's four customers or 40, every single person in one of them ugly red polos is walking around making sure... Every, if you work at Chick-fil-A, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's not ugly. Um, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> everyone uh, in those polos is walking around and they're, they're checking on people. You need a refill? You, you need a napkin? Anything working? You need Anything? And then some of them are always in the back on their knees in deep prayer for you, making sure your chicken's anointed. (laughs) Regardless of the situation, the workers at Chick-fil-A are doing exactly what they were told to do. This would be a picture of the church. Regardless of our situation, doing exactly what God through scripture has told us to do. Obedience isn't optional. Obedience isn't circumstantial. Obedience isn't seasonal. Obedience has more to do with you than it has to do with what's going on around you. But yet we tell ourselves at times when life looks like this, I'll live like that. When my wife gets her act together, then I'll love her like Christ loved the church. When I get this promotion, then I'll be generous. When I get this volunteer paid position at Jubilee, then I'll start serving the church. You want to know when the best time to obey God is? All the time. Have you ever noticed that the words you read in your Bible today are the same words that were in your Bible when you first became a Christian? And they'll be the same words that are in your Bible in 20 years? You ever notice that the same words you read when life sucks are gonna be the same words you'll read when life is great? Which means the things God told you to do in the last season are the things he's telling you to do in this season, which will be the things he tells you to do in the next season. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Don't wait, obey God now. Don't wait for your life to change, to change the way you live. Love your wife now, regardless of what you think she is. Give generously now, regardless of how much you got in your bank account. Serve the church now, regardless of what your title is or is not. Obey God now. Because 99.9% of the time, God wants to do something in you and through you right where you are. And he wants to use your situation to change you more than he wants to change your situation. And the way we participate uh, in this this transformation process is obedience. When you obey God right where you're at, you'll become who he wants you to be. He'll put a heart in you of love. He'll put a heart in you of of faith. He'll put a heart in you of of, of dedication and devotion towards him. He'll, He'll make your hands hands that only bless people. He'll make your mouth one that only builds people up. He'll make your feet one that only runs to spread the kingdom of God. Obey God now. So live under God's providence. And third is knowing your heart that God is providential. Hopefully I've helped you have this head knowledge of God's providence. Now I want to travel that long journey to make it heart knowledge. How do do we know in our heart that God is providential? We know in our heart that God is providential by looking back at how he's already providentially worked in our life. If you know what God did, you'll be convinced of what God is doing and will do. And here's what I'd like to submit, propose to you all today. If providence is God's real-time sovereign provision for a purpose he set before time, every single one of us have personally experienced God's real-time provision for his big-picture purposes. What do I mean? There are two people in this room. Some of you have experienced God's uh, providence for his big-picture purposes, and you know it. Some of us have experienced or are experiencing God's providence for his big-picture purposes, and we don't know it. But you will when you walk out of here. What do I mean? Here's God's big-picture purpose for you to look like Jesus and live with Jesus. God's big picture purpose for every single person in the universe, his purpose for them is for them to be like Jesus and to be with Jesus. Do you see it in what we just read? In verse 29, Paul breaks it in half. Um, He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, he purposed before time to be conformed, changed into the image of his son, Jesus. God's big picture purpose, part one, is for you to be made to look like Jesus. And then look at how he goes on a little bit more. In order so that to the result that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn, most important, among, around, with, in the company of many brothers and sisters. Part two of God's big picture purpose is for those who look like Jesus to live with Jesus forever. Can we take a step and notice how God's big picture purposes are better than anything we could ever want for ourselves? What do you want to be? Better? You want to be a better mom, a better dad, a better worker, a better citizen? You want to be better? God says, I want you to be perfect. I want you to be perfectly loving. I want you to be perfectly whole. I want you to be perfectly compassionate and forgiving and merciful. I want you to be perfect. We want to be better. And God says, I've purposed for you to be perfect like Jesus. Where do you want to be? In a good spot in life? You want to be retired with financial stability? You want to be at the top of your field? You want to be married? You want to be in the country? Is that it? My dream vacation is to be in Barcelona with my wife without kids. We don't even have them, so hopefully before we have kids. But Barcelona is a black hole compared to the presence of my Jesus. Barcelona is a good spot, but in the presence of my Jesus is perfection. The scripture says that in the presence of Jesus, there's no pain, there's no tears, there's no death. The things that cause those things are wiped out, irrelevant, non-existent. And all the people who are around Jesus are living at perfect peace with each other. We wanna be in a good spot. God says, I want you to be in a perfect place with Jesus. So look back at how God has already providentially provided for this big picture purpose. He's already done it through the cross. God has provided for his big picture purposes through the cross of Christ. In verse, I, think, I believe it's um, 30, God tells us three ways that he specifically provides. Um, it says that he called you through the cross, he justified you through the cross, and he glorified you through the cross. God called you through the cross. Here's a confession. In high school, I was a professional at spitting mad game. Like my motto was kick game, run game, run it real good. 75% of you don't know what I mean. So, so here we, we're going to go to Google and we're going to enter translation from uh, black to Caucasian. Um, spit game, spit game, spit game, black, Caucasian. What comes in the box is, um, I love you guys. It is display affection with the intention of inviting into relationship. I'm gonna show you what I feel, how I feel about you, and hopefully that'll woo you into coming to date me. <laughs> Spit game. So one of my proudest moments of spitting game is when I was in 11th grade, there was this cheerleader who was a senior, and so I was spitting mad game to her on senior night, actually. Her senior night, I scored like 25. I was feeling good, so I gave her a teddy bear. I gave her some flowers and I gave her a necklace. Dot 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 that I had bought for a previous girlfriend. Um, Spit game, run game, run real good. Finessing is what we called that. Um, so I showed her, I displayed for her my affection. Here goes these gifts. Hopefully, you come into me. You come into relationship with me. God displays his His affection for you on the cross. Romans 5, Paul in Romans 5 says, this is how God demonstrates his love and that Christ died for you when you weren't worth dying for. And the purpose of that display of affection was to pull you and invite you and to call you into relationship with him. Take it a step further, 1,986 years later, when you heard that message, was God spitting game and pulling you into relationship with Him? Where were you when you first that God so loved you that He gave His only Son to die for you? How old were you? What room were you in? Who told you? Do you think that was random? Oh no, sir. God orchestrated that moment to call you to Himself. You might be in this room saying, I'm not a Christian, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. God hasn't called me. Friend, make no mistake, you aren't here on accident. God walked you in this room on purpose so that you could hear that he loves you so much that his only son, Jesus, God in flesh, died for you so that you and your guilt, your, your, your guilt could be removed from you and he sees you in your guilt. He sees you in your sin. He sees you in your brokenness and your shame. And he says, I want to pull you out of that and into joyful life with me. Just look at my son on the cross. I love you. God's called you through the cross. God justified you through the cross. Let, let's put a sports metaphor on it. You were not in God's league. You are not in God's league. God is the Cardinals playing in the majors. You're playing in a Tuesday night, 40 and above, slow-pitch softball YMCA league <laughs> with a bunch of dudes who talk about what could have happened in high school, but they told her they're so, yeah. God doesn't need you, but he wants you. God can live without you, but he chooses to live with you. God didn't choose you and call you because of how good you are. He chose you and called you in spite of how bad you are. Every single human being in the world is drenched in sin, drenched in imperfection. And our imperfections are not cute little personal problems. They affect the people around us and the God above us. Specifically, they offend the God above us. They b- break the relationship with the God above us. They make us guilty. And now here we are separated from the God up there and us down here guilty. And as long as we're in this guilt, we have no right, no ability to go to him in relationship. And that's when he put his son, Jesus Christ, on a cross to die our death so that we could have, live his life. And all he says is just believe in Jesus and you are good with me. So when you ask yourself or when anyone asks you, why do you think God accepts you? It's not because you read your Bible. It's not because you came to church today. It's not because you give. It's not because you serve. It's not because you listen to K-Love. It's not because you go to Chick-fil-A. No, God does not accept you for what you do. He accepts you because of what his son Jesus did on the cross. God justified you through the cross. And then God glorified you through the cross. This action process of glorification is God making us to match his beauty, making us to match his glory. I went to Bible college, I told y'all that, and I'm not much of of a linguistic expert, but I noticed how Paul wrote that. He said, God glorified. That D means Done. He glorified you. Now this messes with me because I like myself. I like how I look. I think I'm a pretty good looking guy. (laughs) But I know there is nothing glorious about me at times. I know there's nothing beautiful about me at times. It's hard for me to believe that I'm glorified. But when Jesus died for you on the cross, that sent the Holy Spirit to live in you. And as this Holy Spirit is living in you, he's going chipping Joanna Gaines, fixing you up. <laughs> and, and, and he's working, he's fixing, he's fixing you. He's fixing you to make you look like Jesus in love. He's fixing you to make you look like Jesus in, in, in faith and forgiveness and mercy and compassion and generosity. He's fixing you up and he won't stop until he looks, until you look just like Jesus. And this spirit that this is the same spirit, Paul says, that pulled Jesus up out of the grave. And if death couldn't stop the spirit from doing his work in Jesus, your personality, your tendencies, whatever you inherited from your parents, your sin, your bad habits, your doubt will not stop the spirit of God from doing his work in you. Somewhere else, Paul says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, which means if God started it, he's going to finish it. If he said it, you can count it as good as done. So as we walk out of here, let's practice preaching another sermon to myself. When you find yourself feeling a little down, say, I'm not who I used to be, I'm glorified. And as you're walking along this path with Jesus and you find yourself discouraged, just tell yourself, I'm not who I'm going to be, I'm going to be glorified. God glorified you through the cross. And then God brought you in through the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated death. Death no longer has power. Death no longer is the period in your story. Death is a comma. Death is a glorified nap. And when you wake up from this nap, you are going to open your eyes to see Jesus himself in the face and he will lift his hand, He will reach his hand out to pick you up out of that grave and you will wake up to life forever with him and all who were made to look like him. God brought you in through the cross. So look back at how God sovereignly provided for his big picture purposes in your life and know that he will sovereignly provide for the little picture things. When you know that God is is, is provident, that providence will produce, produce in you a confident peace. Paul in verse 31 through 39 goes on this poetic run. I imagine it was a praise break where he got carried away in in light of God's providence. And then he goes on and he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? This is a man who was imprisoned. This is a man who was floating across the shit on the sea on a raft. This is a man who was beaten. This is a man who lost friends and family. And he confidently proclaimed in all of those situations, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because he knew that God was provident, provident. He, 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 providential, he knew that God was working. He knew that God was working all things together for his good. And so Paul said, if God's for me, who can be against me? And we can have that same kind of confident cry. We can have that same kind of peace when we just ask ourselves a serious, series of questions. Is God providential? Yes. Will God accomplish his purposes? Yes. Has he invited me into his purposes? Yes. Will God accomplish his purposes in my life? Yes. Will anything in my life stop his purposes? No. Will my health? No. Will my finances? No. Will my job? No. Will my sickness? No. Will God use all of those things instead? Yes. Well, friends, I've looked at our situations and I've looked at my sovereign God and I've convinced that if God is working for us, there is nothing in this situation that could come against us. God is sovereignly working for you. God for us, this is the cry of the church for 1,986 years. As we were in confusion, getting used to life without Jesus, we knew God for us. As we were going through persecution under Nero and any other emperor, God for us. As we found ourselves scattered across the world, running for our lives, God for us us. When you walk out of here and we try to spread and preach, spread the gospel and preach this message of Jesus across St. Louis in the region, God for us. Whatever happens politically, federally, in the law, God for us. As you go to work as a carrier of the good news of Jesus Christ and someone looks you in your face as if you're ridiculous, God for us. As you find yourself at the face of death, God for us. As you find yourself at the face of financial loss, God for us. Whatever situation, whatever place you find yourself in right now, walk through it, knowing in your head that God is providential, living under that providence, knowing in your heart that God is providential, and you peacefully and confidently sing God for us. Can I pray for you? Can we stand?